Hey, I'm Ralphie Aversa, and this is Trending Now. Gospel music can often uplift or provide inspiration for people who are in need of encouragement. But what if a gospel song can be powerful enough to release a child from his abductor? That is exactly the case of a 10-year-old Atlanta boy, Willie Myrick, who was kidnapped from the front yard of his home. Myrick began singing the popular gospel song, Every Praise, over and over again for about three hours until the frustrated kidnapper let him out of the car. Every praise is to our God. Every word of worship with one accord. Every praise, every praise is to our God. And the story of Willie Byrick is sending waves to the gospel community so much that Grammy Award winner and the songwriter of the gospel tune, Hezekiah Walker, was so moved by Willie's story that he flew to Atlanta to surprise Willie on his 10th birthday and sing every praise to him in person. Hezekiah Walker says, I am overwhelmed and touched to think that this child was in a situation that may kill him and the first thing he thinks is to sing every praise. God spoke through me to save that boy's life. Only 10 years old. Willie's a brave young man. For more inspirational videos like this, check us out on Facebook and Twitter. We'll see you later. Yahoo! Every praise is to our God. Every word of worship in one accord. Every praise, every praise is to our God. Let's try that. Every praise is to our God. Every word of worship in one accord. Every praise, every praise is to our God. Can you imagine hearing that for three hours? They threw the boy out the car. Oh, let him go. <laughs> worship is powerful. It brings deliverance. And in his case, it brought physical deliverance. Amen. Thank you, Lord. The service is not being sponsored by Yahoo, so. <laughs> Welcome to Mantras, our current series developed with the help of friends from all over the country and all over the world. We ask for people to submit lines that they often hear heard out in the marketplace, at church, at home. Came up with a list of about 50 separate distinct lines and we had them take a survey and vote on them. And these are Facebook friends and contacts and email addresses. People participated in this, and we came up with a list of the top 12 mantras that people say. A mantra is a phrase that is said for empowerment. These phrases give people meaning. These phrases bring definition. These phrases are a way of framing life. And some are kind of scriptural, and some not so much. And so with each week... During this series, when I'm speaking, we'll tackle another one of those phrases, the Lord willing, and not just shoot it down, but really look at it for redemptive value, and then we'll shoot it down. No, not necessarily. So today, we're looking at the phrase, spare the rod, spoil the child. Can we say that? Who's heard that said? Who has found themselves saying that? Guess what? It's not exactly in the Bible. The closest verse we have to it is Proverbs 13:24. It says, "He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly." So where did this line "spare the rod, spoil the child" come from? I thought it was Ben Franklin, but when I dug into it, it actually originated in the 1600s. 
by this guy, Samuel Butler, who wrote a poem in three parts. It's a book, published book. You can get it. It's hundreds of years old, but they have recent editions called Hudibras in Three Parts. Where this line came from is from one of the stanzas of this poem where Samuel Butler wrote, What medicine else can cure the fits of lovers when they lose their wits? Love is a boy by poets styled, then spare the rod and spoil the child. He's talking about love and comparing love to a little boy. And for love to be mature, there has to be discipline. If you don't, it's going to spoil the whole thing. So today we're going to speak on spare the rod, spoil the child, and cover biblical points for child raising. Now have no fear if your children are already grown, you're going to be encouraged by the word. If you feel like you dropped the ball in raising your kids, there's going to be something said that is going to encourage you. If you've never had kids, well, guess what? We're all children of God, and we all have to deal with this. So I don't want anybody feeling picked on. If something currently is going on in your life, I didn't pick something up on Facebook and come up with a sermon topic. No, this, this was next on the list. I think this was number nine of the 12. So by all means... Listen up. We're going to cover the issue of disciplining, discipling, maturing, modeling, and restoring. Disciplining is important, and that plays into discipling. We're not just doing behavior adjustment. Behavior modification doesn't do anything but drive rebellion underground. It's all about transformation of the character so that we are conformed and our children are conformed to the image of God's dear Son. Amen? Amen. Your kids may be grown and have fallen off the wagon long ago, but guess what? God's agenda hasn't changed. They are on a pathway, if He's in their life, of dealing with them to make them more like His Son. We also are discipling our kids. That's a whole reason for discipline. It isn't just because we're mad and need to vent our frustrations on a kid. No. It's so that... If they are liars, that's not going to be good for them in the future, but it's also not going to be good for them as a witness for Christ. It's going to hurt them as disciples. So we're disciple makers as parents, but we're not just raising disciples. We're raising future disciple makers. Amen? Amen. And then maturing, knowing when to release new freedoms and when to hold on to freedoms and not give kids freedom before they can handle it. Modeling, keeping in mind who we are is more important than anything in this thing. It's not do as I say, don't do as I do. It's do as I say and do as I do. Follow me as I follow Christ. Paul wrote it. As well as restoring. These kids are going to mess up. And just like God deals with us, when we mess up, we must deal with them when they mess up. Obviously, there may be some discipline to extract in a certain matter, but there's restoration as well. When that prodigal son came home in the parable, it was time to restore him. Obviously, he had spent his inheritance. That was gone. And he had scars to show for all that he had gone through, but he was still restored to his father's house. Amen? So it's my desire today that we are challenged as parents as well as children of God ourselves. As parents of children of any age and being a child of God ourselves. And we relate to each other as brothers and sisters. So first of all, let's talk about disciplining. Our text today, he who spares his rod, Proverbs 13, 24 starts out, hates his son. 
It's not spare the rod, spoil the child. It's spare the rod, hate the child. You're not loving your kids by denying them discipline when they need it. You're going to create a child that you hate if you don't discipline that kid. You ever been around a kid you can't stand to be around? Lack of discipline will do that. It'll be even be your own kid. I'm convinced some of the abuse we see out in the world is people that are not disciplining their kids till one day they just explode and go too far. When we use the word discipline, we're using it in the biblical sense, not in the abusive sense. If you go too far with discipline, it becomes abusive and counterproductive. Counterproductive. Whipping your kid till you get tired, that's abuse. I personally believe in letting them know how many. There was a mantra around our house when a child was about to be disciplined, and that mantra was, how many, how many, how many? Five was like the end of the world, and I had to resist laughing. I never told my kids a lie. This hurts me more than it hurts you. That's one vow I made as a kid. Man, I don't believe it, and I'm not going to lie to my kids with that one. It hurts. But it's hurting them a whole lot more. I'm not shedding tears. My behind is not staying. <laughs> Abusing a kid is terrible. People need to go to jail for it. He who spares his rod hates his son. But he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Now, girls, you're going to hear the male gender a lot. That's the way the scriptures are written. The scriptures are written to mankind. So in these verses... Or she who spares her rod hates her daughter would also apply in the context. Now, there are instruments of discipline that work, and there are instruments of discipline that don't work. What works with one child doesn't work with the other. We had two kids. With one of them, a whisper was like a scream. But the other one, a scream was like a... Those of you that have been here for long know who he was. Ooh, I gave away his gender. But let me tell you, there was a key to hit each of their hearts. I mean, one of them, grounding wasn't a big deal. The other one, it was the end of the world. But I hated grounding, because when you ground your kid, you're grounding yourself. (laughs) Much prefer the easy way. Keep in mind, we're talking about discipline, not abuse. A couple weeks ago, someone contacted Yvette on Facebook that her brother-in-law wanted to speak with her. Now, Yvette has two sisters. One's 13 years older than her, Carol. She lives in the Washington, D.C. area. And Cheryl, she was living in the Durban, South Africa area. We haven't heard from Cheryl in years. And Yvette's brother-in-law's nephew just happened to visit him from England, found him, came to visit him. Bill says, I need to get a hold of my sister-in-laws. And he says, I can find them on Facebook. So he got the two of them together. And Bill delivered this news that Yvette's sister passed away in July of 2013. So the poor guy was in agony trying to find us and not knowing how. And the whole world's not as connected as we are here in America. So anyway, we got that bad news. Cheryl was always a difficult person to deal with. And yet when she was a child, Yvette loved her and adored her. But in her adult life, it was tough. And so when we were estranged from them, it was painful, but it wasn't real painful. You know what I mean? So Yvette, upon finding out about this, we contacted Yvette's older sister. She says, just give me a moment. She sat down and she began to tell us stories about her sister that we didn't know. Being 13 years and 10 years older than Yvette, when they were little girls, before Yvette came along, they had a nanny from hell. And from the time Cheryl was a toddler, 
and her older sister was three years older than her, so she could have been four. This nanny from hell, to discipline Cheryl to get her to behave, would just lock her in the pantry all day long in the dark and ignore her screams. So she'd wind up just sleeping, terrified and hungry. So just before the parents got home, the nanny would get her out of the pantry and clean her up and calm her down, and then all would appear well, right? But the parents sensed something was wrong because their second-born stopped sleeping at night, and she was ferociously hungry. They'd catch her in the fridge in the middle of the night, stuff like that. And one day the father came home from work early and caught the daughter in the pantry, and the police got involved and... Make a long story short, justice was served. But nevertheless, the damage was done. This daughter that was abused had an attachment to food that was not healthy. And in her 60s, she developed diabetes. And she was unable, in her own strength, uh, not serving the Lord or having a church community around her to help her, unable to control her appetite and refusing to listen to her husband, who was a medical doctor. I mean, she could be alive today. She just listened to her husband. All the men say, Amen. She died one day, just dead. Much damage is done when children are abused. And as citizens of Texas, I verified this yesterday, if you know of abuse going on, you and I, not just policemen or teachers or pastors, in Texas all adults are required by law, it is a crime, to not notify the authorities. Well, I don't want to be the tattletale. Do you want somebody to suffer for the rest of their life because you didn't have guts enough to stand up and do something? Do it. Do it. Risk persecution. Grow a backbone. Remember that show that's on right now on Fridays, I think, called What Would You Do? They use actors, develop an abusive type scenario, and then go into a public place and do bizarre things and see who will stand up and have a backbone. Grow your backbone. You may wind up on TV one day. <laughs> Moving right along. Proverbs 19:18. Chasten your son while there is hope. While they're little, there's hope. Do not set your heart on his destruction. His will or her will may be stronger than yours. Don't surrender. Don't give up. There's hope till they're grown. Proverbs 22.15, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. We illustrated this for our kids one day. We had a little candy box in the shape of a heart. The candy had long been gone. And we took a big piece of paper and wrote the word foolishness on it in the presence of our kids. We read this verse and said, here's what this is. And we wadded the foolishness paper up, and crammed it into the plastic heart. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. But the rod of correction, and we took Mr. Flyswatter. No, we didn't, we didn't spank our kids with a wire flyswatter. This is a plastic one. We took Mr. Flyswatter, held that heart up by the point, and swatted that thing. One swat, and the wad of paper flew across the room, and our children's eyes went, Revelation had filled the house. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. Don't get mad at your children for being foolish. They're just being kids. Oh, there's the foolishness. Let's get rid of it. Come in here. 
Do not withhold correction from a child. Proverbs 23:13. Do not withhold correction from a child. Here's what the public will do, the popular world. They'll try to shame you for disciplining your kids as though you're abusing them. And then when your kid goes off the rail and becomes a criminal, then they'll shame you some more. Right. We've got a whole generation being raised the way popular culture says they should be raised. And then when some kid does some horrible thing, then everybody wants to jump on the bandwagon and shame them. That's very shallow, America. Very shallow. Let's stop tying the hands of our parents. Let them discipline their kids without abusing them. And if a kid goes off the rail, let's have some mercy. Do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with a rod, not abuse him, discipline him with an instrument of discipline that doesn't break the skin and leave welts and bruises. If you beat him with a rod, he will not die. He may scream like he's dying. Don't let your soul spare before his crying. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. You want your children with you in heaven? By all means. Get that foolishness out. It's got to go. Proverbs 29.15, the rod and rebuke give wisdom. But a child left to himself or herself brings shame to his mother. Correct your son and he will give you rest. You ever had your child annoy the heck out of you? Man, do something. Yes, he will give delight to your soul. Correction is important. But it doesn't stop there. It's for the purpose of discipling. Train up a child in the way he or she should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. This doesn't just mean raise your kids right. This means each child is unique, and each child has keys that will work in training that child. In making bows and arrows, this word train is used in training a piece of wood to create what you want to create. And so when you're making a bow, you work with certain bents in the wood that you're working with, and you work against certain bents that you're making the bow out of to make a strong bow. Who knows that's true? So you train your child with the way God made them, but against the things in their life, the iniquities in their life that will cause them harm. So you work with God's creation, and you work against the results of the fall. How do you do that? Every kid is unique. Don't ever let another parent condemn you because your kid isn't like theirs. God help us as we hear these words to apply them and not become judgmental with them, but definitely not to ignore them. The word is full of wisdom. We've got to apply it. This is a promise also. When they grow old, they'll not depart from it. Here's a beautiful painting of the prodigal son, the story Jesus told that has been lived out throughout the generations. Kids leave home, squander everything they ever learned, rebelled against all the wisdom imparted to them, and then they hit rock bottom and come back home, having learned their lesson. When they grow old, they'll not depart from the ways in which they've been trained. Some are older than others. Dr. James Dobson says, The earlier a kid rebels, the better. He says they're all going to rebel in one way or the other. So the earlier, the better. And the ones to really be concerned about are those that wait until they're grown and gone away from you. (laughs) They can really do some stuff that could destroy their lives. Discipling. Train up a child the way he or she should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. 
Jesus himself said, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. I believe Jesus believed in discipling kids. He was a disciple maker, was he not? At the age of 12, he could have got started, right? But it wasn't the will of God. So his parents take home this 12-year-old who's teaching adults home with them, and he stays there for 18 years. What in the world is he doing for 18 years? Twiddling his thumbs? I'm sure he's discipling his younger siblings. The Scriptures name four brothers, James, Joseph, Jude, and I can't remember the other one. Yeah, he had one named Judas, but we call him Jude. And at least two sisters. And who becomes leaders of the church after the resurrection? Two of his brothers. In Acts 15, his brother James, the one that settled the matter. How can he become a leader so quick? He wasn't one of the twelve. No, he wasn't, but he was part of the family of Jesus. Discipling is important. It's a priority of the Lord, and it's voiced even as the church is born. Listen to this. Peter said to them, Acts 2.38, Repent and let everyone, let's say everyone, every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children. Can we say your children? So the promise is to us and to our children and to all who are far off. We say Timbuktu. Even as many as the Lord our God will call. So the Great Commission is for the world in time and space. We can get on a bicycle, we can go on foot and carry the gospel. We can get on a plane and go to the other side of the world and carry the gospel. Globally, in space, we can do that. But in time, we cannot get in a machine and travel to the future. All we have is today. But we can minister to the future by discipling children. That's why children's ministry and youth ministry is so important, because you're Going into the future. We can't travel 50 years from now. We have to wait till it comes to us. The future is coming to us. But we can go to the future through our children. That's the point of my message. This is Abraham Piper. Who's heard of John Piper? Very famous, well-loved preacher up in the Minnesota area. And John Piper's son Abraham went into rebellion when he turned 19 years old. This was before he was 19. Sweet-looking little kid. Happy parents. Boy, did he break their hearts. At the age of 23, he comes back home. The prodigal returns to the Lord, reunites with his parents, and based on his experience, he gives the following advice. Keep in mind, we're talking about discipling. He said, don't expect your children to be Christ-like if they're not Christians. If they act like one and they're not one, then they're hypocrites. Their most dangerous problem is, of sin is the sin of unbelief. Pray for God to give them a revelation of himself. When they come home, welcome them home. If they have any inkling to be with you, don't make it hard for them to come home. Obviously, there are instances when you may give ultimatums like don't come home drunk or don't bring your friends home in the middle of the night. If they smell like weed or an ashtray, when they leave, fumigate your house. If they come home pregnant, go with them to their ultrasound and protect them from Planned Parenthood, but don't condemn them. 
if they come home broke because they blew all the money you lent them on loose women, wild men, and ritzy liquor, forgive them their debt, just as you've been forgiven, but don't give them any more money. Their real problem is not drugs, sex, and rock and roll. Their real problem is they don't see Jesus clearly. They don't see Jesus clearly. Only His grace can draw them back from their perilous pursuits and bind them safely to Him, finding their satisfaction in Him. So what do you do in that situation? You do what Jesus would do. What has He done to you? Those who have been forgiven much, love much. The devil's got to feel used in this thing. Because ultimately his plans wind up making us love Jesus more. So we've talked about disciplining and discipling. Let's talk about maturing. Young people, this is important to observe. Honoring our parents is part of the Ten Commandments. Ephesians 6, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, quote unquote, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you. And you may live long on the earth. The likelihood of your death increases proportionate to the rebellion in your life. Years ago, we had a horrible experience we walked through as a congregation involving the death of a teenager that was in rebellion against his parents. Wound up killed in a car wreck, driving down a road. They told him never to go that way, go another way. He did it anyway. It was a blind thing in an intersection and was killed instantly. Terrible. Does that mean every time you rebel against your parents, you're going to die? No, but you increase the likelihood of it happening. Our parents are older than us. They're more experienced than us. And they know us better than anybody else. So listen to them. They've got your well-being at heart. You know, if you need an organ transplant, who's the most likely to donate one to you? Think about it. All right, parents, and you fathers and mothers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now, does the Lord pick on us? No. Does He have the authority to? Yes. Does the Lord intentionally embarrass us? No. Does He have the authority to? Yes. Rest in your authority. You have the authority to ruin your kid's life, but why do that? Why do that? There's going to be consequences for that. Parenting is not some power trip to show off how much power you have. Parenting is seeing a young person conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. So do not intentionally provoke your children to wrath. I have unintentionally done it numerous times. I raised my kids on my knees begging for their forgiveness. One of them was quicker to forgive than the other one. Ooh, they'd make me sweat. And generally the way I provoke them to wrath is I would jump to a conclusion. I would see, see a scenario. It would look like a rebellion. I would jump to that conclusion. You have violated my authority or whatever. Meanwhile, they had a case to plead. If I'd at least hear their case. But I saw their case always as manipulation, and they were good manipulators. So I would short-circuit the protocol 
And here we come, the discipline it would just provoke them to wrath. And Zane, when he was little, he knew this verse, and, but he didn't know how to pronounce provoke. He would say, Daddy, stop revoking me. <laughs> he was trying to revoke my provoking. Children, obey your parents in all things. And we say all things. Colossians 3. Here's a balancer to that. For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Everything that's well-pleasing to the Lord, you're to obey your parents. If it's not well-pleasing to the Lord, then rebel. If they try to get you to drive the getaway car for their bank robbery, don't do it. That wouldn't be pleasing to the Lord. Don't use your religion as manipulation. You get the point. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. You have the ability to destroy your child's self-esteem. You have the ability to impact their future by the words you say, the actions you do. Do your best to keep your promises. But kids, don't manipulate your parent into making promises all the time. You know they can't keep, so you can use that as leverage to get something else. No, 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 no. The point is, We don't want our children to become discouraged because in life they're going to meet some unexpected obstacles. You know what? Your children are in for some disappointment in life. (laughs) James, sharing last week, talked about one of his first carpenter bosses. He let him go, said, I don't like your work much, and you're in for a world of disappointment in the future. James said, that's life. (laughs) Life is full of disappointments, isn't it? So we've got to prepare our children for disappointment by helping them deal with reality. Obviously, they can't be throwing tantrums. You've got to deal with that. They can't do that. That, doesn't, that won't work for them. That will get them fired. That will get them on YouTube, mocked by the world. At the same time, you don't want them to crumble every time something comes their way with your voice in their head. You're a loser. You ain't worth nothing. You're just like your dad. You're just like your mom or... You're this, you're that. The, your voice is in their head. Trust me, you have so much power. You don't know the power you have as a parent. Your kids may be far from you right now, but you're still in their head. You're there. So if you've got little ones in the house, be sure you're sowing good seeds because they're going to face challenges in life. Psalms 128, verse 3, ends with these words. This promise, your children will be like olive plants all around your table. I love this verse. An olive plant takes years of cultivating before it begins to bear olives. But when it does, it can bear olives for centuries. The Mount of Olives has olive-bearing trees that were alive when Jesus was praying there under them. So, You may not see much return for your efforts in your children. You're investing in the future. You're not investing in the now. You've got to have a long-range vision in this thing. So we've talked about disciplining and discipling and maturing. Now let's talk about modeling. This is who we are. This is where the word applies to us all because we are all children of God. We just sang it a while ago from our hearts. I am a child of God. That brings comfort to us. But God as a loving father chastens us as his kids, even as adults. He corrects us. Listen to this. You have not, Hebrews 12, 4, you have not yet resisted the bloodshed 
striving against sin. In our efforts to not sin, we've never had to resist it to the point of our blood being shed. Christ's blood was shed for us. Verse 5, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. And then he quotes from Proverbs chapter 3. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. This is God's dealing with us. Now, obviously, as adults, whippings wouldn't work. But God has a way of getting our attention. Who knows that? He gets our attention through his word. He speaks to us through his spirit. And he teaches us through our experiences where we reap the consequences of our actions, our lack of stewardship, our lack of personal discipline. There are consequences that come our way. And God, as our loving Father, doesn't rescue us when we get into messes. He helps us get out of them when we cry out, but there are consequences every time. Why? He's maturing us. If you endure chastening, not despising it, but if you endure it, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? Verse 8, But if you are without chastening, of whom all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Then are you illegitimate and not sons. If God doesn't chasten us, we're not his legitimate kids. The old King James, you know what it says? If God doesn't chasten us, we're bastards. The Bible says that? Yeah, the Bible says a lot of things that make you blush. Verse 9, Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. As I said earlier, I raised my kids on my knees, praying for them, but also repenting to them for being wrong. You don't win brownie points with your kids when you're wrong and you refuse to admit it because of your pride. Well, I need to be respected. Do you want the respect to be forced on them or do you want it to come from their heart? You're modeling humility to them when you do repent. But God the Father has never had to apologize. He doesn't discipline in anger. He doesn't do things wrong. But as parents, we make mistakes. It's scary. God gives little kids to us. What? Us? Yeah. Work it out. You're going to have to humble yourself and repent when you've done wrong. This makes us more like Christ. God chastens us that we can be partakers of his holiness. What is holiness? Holiness is being set apart for a specific purpose. It's not just being cleaned up. Holiness for a purpose. You're separated for a purpose. That's what being sanctified is. God chastens us for a purpose, not just to work out his frustrations on our behinds. He chastens us, he purifies us for a purpose. There's an eternal reason behind all this. Verse 11, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. Who can say amen to that? But painful, nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness by those who've been trained by it. 
You know, when you walk through a difficult season with your kids, you've disciplined them, you've corrected them, and then you've, you've repented where you were wrong, but you've stood strong where you were correct. There can come such a healing balm into that relationship where you're bonded with your kids more than ever. Well, as the Father chastens us, it bonds us to Him like never before. So as God deals with you and your children see God dealing with you and you're honest with His dealings with you, they see you going to the altar, they see you repenting when you're wrong, they see you apologizing when you've messed up, what are you doing? Well, you're becoming like Christ, but you're also setting an example for them. Otherwise, you're going to raise a narcissist, somebody you hate. Modeling. Good buildings always have plans behind them. This, there was a plan for this building, plan for our houses, our mobile homes, our residences, our apartments. It was plans and maybe even models constructed beforehand. And you've got a plan in raising your kids to see Christ formed in them. But as he's being formed in you, you're becoming a model for them to look towards. And I believe it's God's will that our children stand on our shoulders and go beyond us in kingdom work, beyond what we've done. So we've talked about disciplining, discipling, maturing, modeling. Now let's talk about restoring. When we have been chastened, our Father restores us. When our children have been disciplined, we've got to be restoring. You can't keep your kid on probation for six months when, they, when you've already punished them. It's a new day. So on the tail end of that passage there, we ended with verse 11, talking about the Lord's chasing us. He says, therefore, because of the chastening hand of the Lord, therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down. You know, when you've been rebuked, when you've been punished, when you've been chastened, it can be discouraging, right? I blew it again. How can I be such a moron? Strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet. Stand up and begin to walk in the Spirit. God's corrected you, yes, but it's a new day. Now I'm going to go on and pursue His will like never before. Enable your kids to do the same after having corrected them. Don't dare them to mess up again. So that what is lame may not be dislocated. You don't want a dislocation to happen. But rather be healed. Let the relationship be healed. Verse 14, pursue peace with all people. Can we say all? As much as depends upon you, another verse says pursue peace with everyone. Pursue peace with all people and holiness. What is that? That's more than just being clean. That's being separate for God's purpose. Without which no one will see the Lord. Verse 15, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. And he goes on and talks about Esau and the bitterness in Esau's heart. Sure, he messed up by trading a bowl of soup for his birthright, but he didn't mess up when he was out doing what his father said do, and his brother cheated him out of his blessing. Isaac may very well have messed up. I know this isn't good Calvinistic theology, but what if Isaac had made an adjustment and said, Jacob, I'm sorry, you manipulated me, you deceived me, I revoke the power of the blessing I gave you, and I gave it to Esau. He didn't do it. So Esau felt ripped off, had to deal with the bitterness. We'll let the theologians deal with that one. 
I don't want to get into any heresy. But in our own household, I refuse to think one of us has an Esau. Let's be people that restore our kids. And if we see bitterness developing, let's pursue reconciliation at any cost. So no bitterness develops if we can prevent it. Maybe your kids are grown and gone and they eat up with bitterness. Guess what? As parents, you have authority in the spirit that no other human being has to pray for your kids. It's true. I've seen God move in the lives of our grown kids when we pray for them. Your kids need for you to pray for them, whether they're estranged for you or not. But if they are, pray, pray, pray for them. I have a dear friend I worked with years ago named Dale Smith. Dale's a neat guy, same kind of country. He had a rock band back when Stevie Ray Vaughan was first starting. He let Stevie Ray join his band, and before long he got booted off the van. Stevie Ray took his place. In his younger wild days, he went through a divorce. He lost custody of his kids, didn't know where they were. And then years later, he becomes a believer, and he grieves for his kids. But he begins to pray for them. And I remember the season of his life when he discovered where they were. They were raised in Arizona. Here he was in Dallas. And one of them was becoming a youth with a mission missionary. There's authority in your prayers. Do not be discouraged. Do not give up. Do not set your heart on someone's destruction. By all means, set your faith like a flint for your family to be strong and your children to pursue the will of God like never before. Why? Because we are children of God and so are they. And in heaven we're going to be as brothers and sisters with our children, worshiping our heavenly Let's bow our heads as the praise team comes forward. Lord, help this room full of people to apply this word where it fits with them. Lord, make some nugget here become obvious to each person that it not just be another Sunday, but that we actually apply what we've heard and we make adjustments where we need to. Help us, Lord, to be consistent. them to lead us in song. I just want to encourage single mamas. Single mamas have been picked on. You've heard of the caricature of the three-screen mama. Who's heard of the three-screen mama? That's the mother that doesn't mean business until she's screamed three times. So her kids always make her scream three times. I don't think that's a bad thing if she's consistent with the three screens. Kids need to know where the boundaries are. I just consider that three strikes and you're out. So don't change up the order. Don't become a five-screen mama or a half-a-screen mama. That's going to provoke your kids to wrath. Suddenly suddenly the atmosphere, the environment becomes unpredictable. And Stay consistent. Maybe your kids have heads like rocks. Well, you get one like a diamond. Refuse to give up. I'm no longer. Oh,